0: Log Talk Radio to are the Wednesday night of 7. It's Balmaganza. and I'd like to walk from our, our, our legendary user from the Jersey Shore, who just took a dip in the Atlantic Ocean, with some men envious, Mr. Don Henderson, up in Atlanta, Mr. Roger Hendler, and spending the dollars in our home base here in Florida, Mr. Frank Carroll. Gentlemen, what happened on this date to our fans out there? May 19th, 1974, 5.05 p.m., greatest day, one of the greatest days of my life.
1: And, and, well, and Roger jumped on it right away, and we talked before the show got started. So, Roger, jump right in here. You knew exactly what it was.
2: <laughs> well, you know, they were just talking about uh, this the other day, uh, a couple of the hockey guys. And I'll tell you, Tommy, I know exactly where I watched that game. It was at uh, my, mother's, uh, my late mother's apartment at the Wessex yes. House uh, at uh, Shimoni Road and Lancaster Avenue in St. David's, Pennsylvania and uh, uh-huh. and then i left there and uh i was staying at uh, my in-laws uh and because uh, we were in the process of uh, moving back to new jersey and i got to mm-hmm. tell you it was a spectacular night caster and cot or cotman and uh, frankfurt became like the uh, center of the, of the world so to speak and uh they here, here was a really uh, cute story that um Ray Dinger, and Frank and I were talking about this yesterday, Ray Dinger has just done a book uh, on his 50 years. And uh, Hmm. he was sitting in the parade, uh, which I guess was the next day. The city thought that there was going to be maybe 100,000 fans out there for the Flyers parade. Uh, Ray said that uh, he was at the bulletin. They asked him to go find out about this parade and the city uh, uh, uh representative said oh yeah probably a hundred thousand he says i think there's going to be more than that well as we all know there were two million in that out in the streets for that parade and absolutely ray was, yeah ray was sitting in the bus next to joe watson senior joe and oh. jimmy's father uh who looked like uh they said like a heavy beard and keith Jones knew. It he knows him and, or knew, you know, when he was, I guess, I don't know if he's deceased or not. And the, he's, uh, the watch, Mr. Watson senior said to Ray, I didn't know there were this many people in the world. <laughs> well, you know,
1: the funny thing about that, Roger is when you talk about Joe senior, uh, Joe jr. I believe, uh, still works in the, uh, in, in, for the advertising department for the flyers. Now, Jim, had his own business. He was in the construction business that he finished playing and uh, built houses and uh, and so forth. So he did not stay connected. But Joe uh, uh, went to work for the Flyers and, to the best of my knowledge, uh, still is working for the Flyers. So yeah. maybe we'll get him on the next week or so and just talk about some of the great days.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, as we all know, that team uh, will live in infamy. And oh. if they go out and play play a uh, benefit game today of uh, the alumni from that team, they get the big crowd and uh Ray was talking about it because you know we've talked about this before I grew up a hockey fan, but it was going to the arena to see the ramblers play ivan wamsley reggie Meserve, rocky rukavina uh that team <laughs> which was like a, a like a group three or a group A team, if you relate it to baseball, as we all know. And people never thought hockey would take off. And we have Ed Snyder uh, to thank for that. And Jerry Wallman, obviously, uh, as right. the, had the foresight to do it. But uh, that's a day that I'll never forget. It was a beautiful Sunday afternoon uh, mm-hmm. against the Bruins. And they say, Phil Esposito, I was hoping he was going to be on tonight because he never stopped complaining to Art Scope. He, he's, uh, he's on the list, so
1: I think he's coming on at 8.15, isn't he? No, he's not. He, no, he Frank called said just prior that, to the yeah, game
3: the show and said he can't make it. Oh, yeah, we got
0: okay. Roy Cummings on. We got Roy Cummings, the great, the great Roy Cummings is on. Roy, last night's game, first good game in three months for this hockey team. Finally, they clicked together.
4: Well, uh, I assume you're talking about the Lightning, right? Yes. Yeah, they put it together the last couple of nights, actually. Uh, You know, I I, I think uh, I'm a little surprised that they've come away from Florida Um, the first two games on the road in this series uh, with two wins. I mean, I thought uh, Florida was a much stronger team, Um, you know, going into the series. didn't know what the impact that Stamkos and Kucherov would make would be and um, turns out in the first game they were they were a big part of it obviously with the power play and then uh, Stamkos gets a, a bit of a helper last night uh, goal off a of skate in front um, Kucherov wasn't much of a of a part of it but you know I think the Lightning have done a great job really defensively of slowing down Florida and kind of eliminating their ability to to come in off the rush into the zone and, and set up in there. Uh, they've made them play a little bit more uh, Tampa style where they've got to get into the zone and then uh, try to create off the cycle and things like that. So uh, uh, good for Tampa. They're playing great defensively. You know they're going to get good goaltending. Um, and they're getting that, obviously. And they're getting some, uh, you know, some obviously some, some help from their uh, young defensemen and, and older defensemen. And, look, they've been – I think the bigger test is, you know, were they, would they be able to match Florida physically? And so far they have. So it's been a great uh, – uh, that that first game, Tommy was. Uh, you hear everybody really around the NHL. I, I heard the Lightning's uh, play-by-play announcer, uh, Dave Randorf, uh, today saying that it's on his short list of the best games he's ever called, the greatest games he's ever called. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you right now, I, it's it's definitely up there in Lightning history. Uh, that first one against Florida, it's right up there with uh, Game Six against Calgary, Game Seven against Calgary. Right. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it, it was just an exceptional hockey game. I tweeted out after the game that if the, if ESPN were covering the NHL this year the way they will be next year, uh, that, that game would have been deemed an instant classic already, and uh, mm-hmm. we'd have been talking about it for, uh, for a long, long time. In fact, we, we, we may still be doing that if the Lightning move on and uh, eliminate Florida rather easily here. So um, the NHL playoffs, as always, off to a tremendous start. Uh, Every game has been incredible. Um, You know, we've had very close games uh, out west uh, with with Minnesota and uh, Vegas and obviously uh, good games all throughout uh, Washington, Boston, playing exceptionally well. We're in that time of year when, uh, you know, the the casual sports fan is reminded yet again that uh, there really isn't anything quite like uh, playoff hockey if you want uh, excitement throughout uh, from from the beginning of a game to the very end, uh, if you want nothing but drama and excitement and uh, thrills, you watch playoff hockey.
1: Well, we I mean, got to throw you. a few kudos over there to Bobby Taylor, the chief, because he was on with us last week. And the thing that he tried to emphasize, well, the two things he tried to emphasize, one about, uh, you know, the, the fan situation, having fans at the games. and But more importantly, he said home ice is not going to make a lot of difference in the Stanley Cup playoffs this year. And I'll tell you, uh, he hit the nail right on the head. I mean, uh, uh, home ice advantage didn't mean anything to Florida.
4: No. No, and they had, you know, I think they had probably an advantage that uh, a lot of, you know, let's face it, some teams don't have it because they don't have, you know, 9,000 people in their building right now. Uh, Florida had 9,600 in their building. It made it sound like they had 1,900 or, you know, 19,000 in there. Uh, they, they were literally. He, the he pointed rats. that out. He
1: said. He said the one thing about playing in Florida is when they have nine thousand, that's a sellout for them. <laughs> so <laughs> he, he pointed out exactly the same thing.
4: Great. Yeah, you're right. But they made it sound like uh, look, uh, that was an enthusiastic crowd, and and you would think that that would have boosted Florida a bit. I think it probably did, but it didn't affect Tampa. That's that's the biggest mm-hmm. issue is it didn't affect Tampa. You know, let's see if Tampa can match that in terms of uh, energy uh, tomorrow night and Saturday. They're going to put nine thousand in the building there. Um, you know, we'll see if Tampa can match it. Uh, but it, look, it won't surprise me if Florida comes back and wins one or even two in Tampa. Mm. Uh, that that's how that's how tight these teams are. Um, that's how quick they can adjust to each other. They've played enough hockey. They know each other uh, exceptionally well. Uh, they know what they can do. Don't think Florida's out of it. Uh, that's a very fast, skilled hockey team that uh, will figure out a way to, to. And again, it wasn't like Florida. It's not like Florida's been wiped out uh, in these games here. They were close games, and uh, they fought all the way through to the end. So I, I don't think this series is over by any stretch. Uh, Tampa certainly got a big leg up, but uh, this one could go, uh, could still go six, maybe even seven games. Well, well Roy, hey, I, I hope. Roy. You know. No, go ahead, Tommy.
0: I said, sure Roy, I hope not, but, but I just, I the lightning in six last week, and, and what you've got, the ability of any playoff team possibilities, you've got to win the one of those two games up there. So, did you know, that, that game last night was the best game in lightning by over three months. Every tape, pass was tape to tape, hustling, going down after the rebounds and that, and a lot of times you had the 2-1-1s and the 2 ones and Phil sit on the radio. Don't pass with the damn puck. <laughs> so, I mean, but it's gonna be it's just gonna be the first home playoff game in two years, guys. Tomorrow night, so I'm excited about that. It's gonna be it's gonna be the barn's gonna be hopping with nine thousand people in there. It's gonna be a great game tomorrow night. I'm looking forward to that. But six is gonna be kind of rough, <laughs> you know. We're gonna get down to Roy's put the arena and see what's going on down there, Roy. So it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a great hockey game. I think the better team will step up. Um, the Lightning will step up right now. They've got the confidence building, got got Stammer and Cooch, Coochie Rock back, and and in, in Florida is, is a great team under Joe Quenville, but I mean it doesn't have the experience of what the Lightning did for last year. Or so my my advantage is the Lightning in six games right now, guys.
4: Well, you're Everybody, right. About, uh, I, what, 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 you, you go ahead, Roger. What start. I wanted. To-
2: yeah, what I wanted to ask you, a couple things. Um, I don't know whether um, I was just trying to find out if Odyssey, uh, which used to be Intercom, uh, I know they've got music stations in Tampa. I don't know if the, it's if the sports station. I couldn't uh, determine it. But anyway, I don't know if you hear all these uh, reports. They're like one-minute report uh, reports done by uh, various uh, people, including uh, Boomer Esiason. And I think he does an absolutely fantastic job of like a one-minute feature editorial or comment, and one of them was about the NHL and we talked about it lack of cohesion uh, for the Canadian teams in the in the Stanley Cup and has the decision been made yet? Maybe you Tommy Frank. Or Don, no. I don't know, and I think it was a Boomer that uh, said he just thinks it's ridiculous that this has not been worked out.
4: Well, I see his point, and, uh, you know, yes, I, I, I hear those things all the time. They're, they're great, those one-minute, uh, you know, quick takes you guys have, and, uh, you know, I don't think they're writing them, but um, somebody else is probably writing them. But uh, uh, they're still very, uh, very good, very informative. But at the end of the day, um, look, it's not an issue right now because of the way the playoffs in the NHL are set up. Um, They're set up to go within the division for the first round and probably second round as well. Um, So right now it doesn't matter. Right now, the the the, you know the the North, the NHL North as they call it this year, uh, with uh, Toronto, Montreal, which is tomorrow night, Um, and then uh, you got Edmonton and uh, uh, Winnipeg. going on tonight i believe those games um they're going to be played in canada anyway it's the the issue is going to come around when a canadian team now has to play a u.s team and yes there have been extensive discussions on how that's going to happen uh it's beginning to look as though uh the canadian government is going to allow uh teams into the into the country Um, small traveling parties, uh, probably bubble-like situations similar to last year um, at the worst, at worst, um, and and they will allow it to happen and they'll let players, you know, obviously leave the the country and come back. Um, So there have been extensive talks, but right now they don't have to have a decision. As I said uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, with you guys, this is a decision that will be made at the last minute, when it absolutely has to be made. Because, again, you're trying to keep everybody safe. Uh, the more you get people vaccinated, the better it's going to be. Uh, you know, here in the U.S., everybody's um, opening up. But one thing that happened in Canada this week was there was an, a vote uh, in the legislature, and uh, the, the, uh, the vote was basically to uh, open up uh, golf courses and tennis courts outside to people, and that vote did not pass. So golf courses and tennis courts throughout the country are still closed in Canada. So uh, they're obviously being very, there's a greater degree of caution in Canada than there is here in the United States. And, um, you know, look at that, you know, however you want. Uh, It's not like the, uh, the virus has gone away. In fact, today here in the United States, um, we had more cases announced than anywhere else in the world. So um, this whole idea of opening up the country, uh, you know, and just, to hell with it. Uh, you know, mask, no mask, uh, vaccine, no vaccine, whatever, everybody in the honor system. Eh, it may not work. So uh, we'll see. Hopefully it does. But uh, right now, um, there is not a, uh, a plan. And uh, I'm sure there is a plan, but it hasn't been announced because it doesn't have to be announced yet. Mm-hmm. I just, I just,
1: just add to that, Roger. I think that, uh, as Roy's indicating, Uh, You know, I would think when they get down to the semifinals or whatever it is uh, where they have to make that decision or whether they're going to let X number of games play in the United States, X number of games played in Canada. Um, I think the uh, prime minister, I think they're all going to have to get together and say, are we going to allow our players to fly over and and play in the United States? I, I don't think it's going to be that tough a decision when they get to that point. That's my opinion anyway.
4: Well, yeah, know, we're probably Chief two weeks away last from that, week about... so I, I, I'm with you, Don. I don't think it's going to be a tough decision. Again, it appears, from, from what I've heard, uh, is, and again, this is it's all speculation, but apparently uh, the Canadian government is leaning towards allowing uh, these teams to travel and teams to come in. Uh, again, I, I think there's going to be some great restrictions on them. They're going to be, in essence, in a bubble, uh, the teams going in and the teams going out. Um, you know, it, for whatever reason, you know, I mean, is that a, a negative thing? Yeah, who knows? Uh, a Stanley Cup was uh, played four and one last year with everybody uh, stuck in hotel rooms for three months. So uh, I think they can somehow manage to handle it. Um, but again, you, you know, you have to put, uh, you know, you have to put pe- people's safety ahead of, uh, you know, sports. Look at Japan. I mean, there, you know, there have been a, a lot of public, uh, a lot of public outcry in japan about having the olympics and uh you know the basically the the, the government there has kind of they've had to kind of give in and uh it looks like they're going to have the olympics but there there could be a lot of protests about uh whether that should be the case or not <laughs> even athletes in japan are saying you know why are we putting sports ahead of people's lives and obviously japan i don't know if you guys have ever been there but uh uh, people wear masks there on a regular basis. I'd say at least 30 40% of the population there, uh, you know, they wear face coverings and masks all the time. Um, in, in, a, in a country as populated and as dense uh, with people as that is, uh, it, you know, they believe it makes sense uh, to avoid uh, transmission of uh, communicable diseases and uh, viruses, and uh, so it's nothing new to them. Um, and right now they're they're saying, hey, we we need to kind of put this thing, uh, you know, put sports uh, behind the you know, behind the, the 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 good of the people here. And I think Canada's leaning that way too. But I think they're going to figure out a way to get it done uh, and allow the playoffs to go forward. Tommy? Well, I'll say this, Roy, that
2: last week uh, the chief Bobby Taylor was very critical of his home country about the politics and everything that is going on, and and you know I don't. Uh, follow it that much, but uh, I know that there's uh, you know with their uh, medical uh health system that that 's why people come from Canada to the u s to get certain uh surgeries and everything and uh mm-hmm. so you know I mean under normal circumstances, but getting to japan and it 's not only japan it's china it's the far east. Uh, you, all you got to do is go to the international terminal at uh, almost any big airport, and that's when you're going to see the people getting off the planes when they were allowed uh, with masks on. You know, so – and you're right. I mean, the population in in uh, Japan, that's why it costs so much to play golf, okay, because, right. you, you know, the, the golf courses are limited because of the, the amount of uh, square uh, miles in the country.
5: That's right.
1: Yeah,
2: exactly.
5: 100% right. Well, the other thing, too,
1: Roger, is that uh, when I flew in last night, from the time you entered the airport at Sarasota through the entire flight until you uh, got to the airport in Newark and uh, got to a, a car to come home, uh, it was mandatory. You you could not go anywhere unless you had a mask on.
2: Well, and that's the, I agree with that. But, you know, the CDC says now when you're inside – you don't have to have a mask. But they, they change the, there's like a flavor of the day with if, the if, CDC. If you had the
4: but of course, how are you going to tell whether somebody had a vaccine or not? So, you know, exactly. a lot of people are willing to give up that information, but then there's also a lot of people who aren't. You can't ask them. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit dicey. <laughs> but, uh, you know, look, I know well, a lot of people are tomorrow. carrying their
1: card with them. I mean, a lot, a lot of folks that have had their shots carry their card with them to prove that, uh, you know, if there's any question when you get to the gate. Uh, or, right. or or acquiring your tickets or whatever it may be. Uh, if yeah. anybody asks, you have the, you have the uh, certificate that said you've got both shots, whatever shot they may be.
2: Yeah, I keep them with uh, yeah. my passport. On.
1: Yeah, I, I do too. Exactly right. And, yeah. and yeah. so smart there's no, yeah. no argument about it. You just show it to
2: them. Yeah. Right. Uh, smart move. But there's but, you know, players. Look... No, I was going to say there's my... players that refuse to get the shot just like right. everyday people,
4: you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why I think, you know, again, I, I, my guess is that there is a plan in place. It probably changes, uh, you know, almost daily in terms of how it's going to be, uh, uh, how it's going to be enacted. But, uh, I'm sure the league, look, the league has had plenty of time to prepare for this. Um, you know, best case scenario obviously is that, uh, somehow miraculously, uh, all countries open up everywhere and the virus has suddenly disappeared. But, uh, I think we know that's not going to happen. So, um, there, there will be a plan in place. My guess is that you'll see uh, Toronto or, or whoever it is, uh, you'll see the Canadian teams uh, coming into the United States and uh, playing the playoffs uh, normally and uh, teams going back to Canada and back and forth uh, as the playoffs require. So, um, you know, there might be a, sm- a slight change to the format. Um, you know, maybe you play a, a, a 2-3-2 system instead of the 1-1-1 at the end. Um, you know, we could see that happen just to, again, uh, eliminate the, you know, the back and forth a little bit. Uh, that could be right. part of it. We'll see. But, um, you know, again, I, I'm sure the league is, uh, has got a plan in place. I'm sure it's a tentative plan that uh, changes uh, daily, if not hourly.
1: Well, Roy, thank you very much. And uh, we're going to make the jump to Doug Fernandez here in a second. But, as always, great half hour. And everybody's going to have an opinion, but we're going to have to wait and see what Canada decides to do. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Have a good
2: week, Roy. All
1: right, let's bring Doug Fernandez as He said had a, a bunch of outstanding columns over the last week and a half, two weeks. First of all, the Dickie V column was uh, was spectacular. Uh, Doug, let, uh, before we get that, uh, let's talk about Dickie V and this, and what he's been able to do with the Jimmy V Fund.
0: Yeah, good to uh, good to be with you guys. Uh, yeah, this was his 16th gala. Uh, it started basically in his house as sort of an idea to help, uh, you know, the V Foundation for Cancer. If you remember Jimmy Valvano's speech of Dick Vitale was off to the side uh, standing there. So they were friends for a long time. So when Dickie V got involved in this, he had the first one at his home, and he had celebrities over. And then uh, after a couple of those, it may have been just one the idea came to expand it and to uh, get to get a bigger venue. And for the past several years, it's been at the Ritz Carlton uh, last year's was uh, a virtual affair because of the pandemic. Uh, you know, there was nobody live. Uh, there were no guests actually at the Ritz Carlton. It was Dickie V doing a remote from his house. And I think Kevin the was up at the, the ESPN headquarters in Bristol sort of hosting it, but it was all done electronically. But still, with the with the help of a, uh, a philanthropic gentleman down here, uh, he uh, Dickie V raised a record seven and a half million dollars. Which, uh, when you think about it, you know, raising seven and a half million dollars, you know, in Sarasota, Florida, is something. I mean, that that total would be, be good for a, you know a city like New York City or something bigger. But to do it in Sarasota, Florida, it's amazing. So this year, uh, it was back to, uh, to somewhat normal. Uh, they were live, there were actual people at the Rich Carlton Hotel here in Sarasota, but because of the COVID, it was limited to half. So usually they get about a thousand people. And uh, so this time they had 500 people and the celebrity list wasn't as big as it, as it, as it usually is, uh, you know, with only 500 people, they had to tell some people that uh, there was no room for you this time. Uh, but this year, uh, thanks to a $1 million donation, by the gentleman, uh, I don't know why I can't think of his name, he was a point guard on the Michigan, uh, Don and I talked about him, uh, he was a backup point guard on the 2000 Championship Michigan team. Basically, he was the backup to Mateen Cleaves' backup. I mean,
1: he was like the 12th took the guy. Last shot, he, took the last shot, Doug. Took
0: the last shot. He took the last shot in the game because Michigan State was up by like 12. So he took the last shot, but the thing is, he, uh, after graduation, he had a chance to become a Division One uh, college uh, assistant coach at age
6: 23,
0: and he decided to go into his dad's financial business that was kind of a small little operation that his dad really didn't pay much attention to. Anyway, he uh, he got it going, hired more people. Uh, long story short, it went public. He's worth $14 billion now with a B, and uh, and he gave a million dollars to – to Dickie V just by Dickie V calling him on the phone and asking him they had never met before and uh, between that contribution and this uh, gentleman in Sarasota again coming through standing up during the event and saying I will donate two million dollars uh, just stood up and said uh, you know I'll, I'll do my part again they raised uh, they raised close to 4.7 million dollars this year so to do it again with half the crowd half the size Uh, he's raised now $42 million for pediatric cancer research uh, since this thing started 16 years ago. And the thing is, you know, all of that money goes to research. They have an endowment that pays for, like, you know, administrative costs or any sort of salaries. So any money you give to this foundation, uh, every bit of it goes to research. And it's rated four or five stars by the, uh, you know, the entity that rates, Charities, I mean, you know, whether it's a legitimate one or a lot of it goes to administrative costs, it has a top ranking because of that very reason. So what Dickie V has done here uh, transcends what he's done on uh, basketball or calling games. This will be his true legacy is is childhood uh, pediatric research, cancer, and he's uh, he's passionate about it. I've never seen a a guy more passionate about anything. Once again, he broke down at the – at this year's gala, we have a press conference uh, an hour beforehand, where he talks among the other guests, and he broke down, uh, crying, talking about this and having to go to the same people over and over again for money. You know, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't go to anybody new every year. He kind of hits up the same people for money. So uh, for him to do that, when some people would rather maybe have him him go somewhere else this year, is a testament to him and his passion for this cause. So. Uh, I attended this Tommy, we'll, we'll let to you have, jump
1: in yeah. with a question for Doug. Doug Fernandez, is our <laughs> guest columnist, the Herald in Sarasota, and we're talking about Dickie V and what he's been able to do, but you can jump in any other way you want to go, Tommy.
0: Kurt, how you doing, buddy? I have a long time no hear.
1: <laughs>
0: Tom, wait a minute. Tom, Tom, who? Who's this? Tommy James. Tommy Gilbert Oh, Gil, what's the hell? Oh, man. Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Tommy uh Tom and I used to go to events when actually people covered events, and that was <laughs> many That's years right. ago uh, uh, oh, now goodness. we all do it either remotely or by zoom how's it going Great. Tom? how's your health I'm doing good like you know i beat I had cancer colon cancer two years ago I beat it and what you start saying about Dickie V and, and that cancer thing I started crying crying cry a little bit what you know what they what they did for what Dickie v's done for is society Jimmy V. I'm a survivor too from that, and then I start crying about that. Doug, it's, it's an honor and a pleasure to have you on talking about that. I'm I'm ecstatic about this right now. So, I'm, well, well Tom, I'm so glad you beat colon cancer. I had leukemia five years ago or six years oh. ago, and I was actually in one of these galas for the whole thing, oh. and uh, so I was part of it for the year I had it. But uh, we're both cancer beaters, guy, and uh, I'm I'm, I'm I know. happy to hear that you're still among us.
1: I Roger, you're
2: the up. Wedding,
1: I think, yeah, <laughs> Doug, Roger Henler's on the line. Doug, he's in Atlanta, what, Georgia.
2: Yeah, thank you, uh, Don. Uh, Doug, I'm reading the uh, column right now about the gala that you just talked to uh, with Dick Vitale. Uh, I want a couple of things. Number one, uh, before we go any further, we have to send out from all of us involved in uh, with the show uh, from Frank down. Uh, congratulations to Jay Wright at Villanova for mm-hmm. uh, being elected into the, uh, hall- Naismith, uh basketball hall of fame, because he mm-hmm. is a big, big backer of the Dickie V foundation. And, um, uh, that was the, uh, the first thing I wanted to bring up. And then the uh, no, another thing, about, I, I can tell you're not from Sarasota, Florida, though.
6: <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, I'm from Boston.
2: East, area. Yeah, or New England.
0: That Boston yeah. area, right.
2: <laughs> yeah, I could tell. I lived in New Hampshire for a year and a half, so mm-hmm. I was in Boston a lot. Uh, parked the car at the at the garden,
0: you know. No, parked no, park, so,
2: park the car at the Harvard Yard.
0: Yeah, the other
6: Actually yard, is... right.
0: actually, you mentioned Jay Wright. Jay Wright was yeah. one of Dick Vitale's honorees about four or five years ago. He appeared mm-hmm. at the gala. He was honored. And exactly, he has a, a connection to cancer. I forgot what it is, but I think cancer has hit close to his family
2: as well. It did. Yes, yeah, uh, and his family. You're exactly right. Yeah. Well, the, you know, the thing that really got me was that you mentioned this gentleman uh, with, you know, that played at the, what Michigan State, $14 billion. Right. I just read the Saturday mm. night, Arthur Blank that uh, owns the Falcons, the United, PGA Golf Stores, uh, et cetera, et cetera. He's only worth like seven and a half billion. So, oh, my <laughs> gosh, this guy's worth double what mm. Arthur Blank's worth.
6: Yeah, this guy,
0: this guy and basically, he just took his dad's company that had, like, eight employees, and it was sort of a side-like company his dad had, and he just, you know, put it on steroids. And then, obviously, when it's in public, that's when you make the big money, and uh, so it's good for him. He's 42 years old. He gave a million to Dick Vitale, but he also gave $32 million to the Michigan State Athletic Program to help them. Thirty-two million. Wow! So, oh my goodness, this guy either needs a big tax write-off or he's got a big heart. I don't know. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> right. you also and had another great column. Maybe somebody. you'd like to touch
1: on too. And you know, I was over at the Bird Key Yacht Club the other day, and uh, I congratulated the manager over there. But you wrote the story, and he got a young lady that was out on the at Longboat, and he convinced her to come to Bird Key. And now she's got one of the greatest tennis camps in America, and she was just voted the best woman's coach in America. Right? You tell the story.
0: Yeah, I mean, she was a um, she was a local tennis player in Sarasota High School. was a number one tennis player, went off to Stetson. was a great player there. You know, played a little bit on the uh, the minor circuit, but then she got into coaching, and she just basically, uh, I, I mean, she's she devoted her whole life to tennis, and uh, she's been doing it here for. For about over 20 years, she was at one club for 18 years. And they, yeah, the COVID, she got laid off because of the COVID. But, yeah, Burnt Yacht Club is a, is a place in here in Sarasota where the exclusive people live. And, uh, you know, they have a little tennis program, just people hitting the ball back and forth, no big deal. But, you know, she was hired after losing her job at the pandemic, and basically they just said, do what you want. And she took it into a program that now has – over 250 people involved, and she had clinics. So it much like a well-known club at town. Anyway, uh, Tennis a Magazine uh, had people from around the country send in their votes as the best coach in America, and uh, she ended up being the the best female coach in America, and there were close to 2,000 entries of men and women who were sent in. So for this girl to, to be named Coach of the Year uh, among uh, a lot of great coaches in the great areas of the country – it's a, it's a testament to her, and you know one thing about Sarasota. You know that, Don. I mean, it's a, it's a little sleepy community, maybe not anymore, but a lot of big-time people and a lot of big-time names come through here that you that you rare, that you very rarely hear about. And I think this girl was an example of one. Now she's known nationally as you know as the best uh, coach in the country, at least voted on by by people.
7: By, uh,
0: by well, teams. Doug,
1: the uh, Doug, the, the big thing about uh, Sarasota for so many years was the colony. And what they did there, they were really they were really the ones that put uh, tennis on the map uh, as far as players around the world. Because uh, the colony was it. Uh, then the colony fell sort of sideways. And but this young lady, you wrote a great column about it. Uh, great story, I thought. She was a great story.
0: Well, well, you mentioned you mentioned the colony. You know, I've been here since '87. One of my first stories I did was Bud Collins. Uh, had a place on the colony. Bud Collins, obviously, if you ever watched uh, tennis on NBC, he was the ball-headed yeah. guy with the beard who had a, a great vocabulary. He also wrote for the Boston Globe. So uh, he used to come here on vacation. But what really got start, tennis started in this area was Nick Ballatieri, uh starting like uh, the Boletari Tennis Academy. And, uh, again, one of the first stories I did uh, was an uh, 18-year-old, Andre Agassi, uh, because he started with Nick Boletari 1987-88, no one knew who this kid was. He was 18 years old. That's when he had the long fingernail and the long hair. And no one knew who he was. And then he became big. And then Bollaterry got guys like Monica Sellis and others. And suddenly they were brought up by IMG Academy. And now IMG had a big tennis, a huge tennis center here. And so that's why tennis is sort of big in this area, is because of people like Nick Bollaterry and, and IMG. And he going back, uh, back before days when Bud Collins used to come down here quite a bit.
1: Well, Robert Terry uh, has Frank- uh, a great or had a great uh, uh, show on, on HBO. They did a documentary on it. They showed it, of course, in the movie theaters as well, but it's primarily on HBO. But let me jump over to Roger.
2: Yeah, well, I, I just wanted to get Frank and Tommy uh, after what Doug, uh, or Don mentioned. He was over at the Yacht Club and Doug just confirmed the uh, stature check. and wealth of people at that yacht club, we now can confirm that Mr. Henderson is definitely <laughs> Mr. Big after being at that yacht club. I
7: was waiting <laughs> for my turn. I can't even, to even buy lunch for, for Doug. Right. He
2: takes the check. Every time <laughs> yeah. we go out, he right, buys right. He, he picks right. up the check.
7: You've got to confirm.
6: <laughs> right. Don,
0: Don lives on Bird Key because you're like, every time the check comes, he's going to go to the bathroom all of a sudden. You know, so,
6: uh, <laughs> <laughs> Doug, any other story you'd like to touch
1: on here? we, we got a little time, and, and uh, uh, those were three that uh, well, came think, to mind it, real it, quickly.
0: Well, I think it's big, it's big news down here. You knew it was going to happen. You know, Tom Brady now is going to go back and face New England uh, next year, and, and it's, a, it's a matchup up in New England. He is salivating over. Uh, tickets are going for over $1,000 for this game. So, so uh, uh, hey done.
2: Guess what? Yeah. As of today, twelve thousand for one ticket. Okay. <laughs>
0: uh, supply and demand There's only a X amount of seats that people are willing to pay. That that's uh, that's uh, that's outrageous. You could buy a big screen color TV set and a, and and a, and a lounger and, and sit and watch the game and have right. a better vantage point
2: than being there.
0: You Charlie, know I mean? Charlie
2: uh, you know, you know uh, uh, Charlie Weiss, the former uh, coach, he said that he will be watching that game on his couch at his uh, <laughs> South Florida home with plenty of food, the bathroom close by. <laughs> he did a great description <laughs> of how he's watching the game. <laughs> well, I mean, listen.
0: Uh, I, I I went to the first three Patriots uh, Super Bowls because I, you know I worked for the paper, but I, I used right. to go back and go to games as fans because my buddy had season tickets to the Patriots game. I was at the snow game in the stands. Uh, you know the did a Tuck Rule game. I was up in section 380, and it was cold. <laughs> and it was snowy, and I was back in you know back uh, 20 years ago. I would never do that now. Looking back on that, I was like, why did I put myself through such, you know, physical misery just to watch a football game? I'll watch
2: it on TV next time, you know? Doug, I was and, in uh, that Super Bowl game in the auxiliary press box at the top of the bleachers, or the top of the stands, I should say, where they put a tarp. And it was raining so hard, the tarp was leaking, and the water's coming on top of us. And that was the auxiliary <laughs> press box at Miami.
0: <laughs> oh, I was, I was at a Patriots game. I was at I was at their playoff game when something happened on Route One, which is the only road that leads into that stadium. This was the old this was old Joe this was old uh, Foxborough State Stadium State Park, State where the fuse went out and the power went out in the stadium for 20 minutes. I don't know if you guys remember <laughs> that game. You know, the power went out and I'm in the press box and I'm I'm like somebody put a penny in the socket and get this game back going, you know.
6: I mean, it was like,
0: oh, you never see that stuff now again, but at old Patriot uh, Foxborough Stadium, you always saw that mm-hmm. stuff, stuff like that, yeah. power going out.
1: Doug, Doug I think you can touch for a minute or two uh, because we talked about all the things that happened in Sarasota, but the high school football program, you've written about so many young men that have either graduated from Booker or wherever it may be, that has stepped into the national, even as far up as the national football league. Forget about Florida, Florida State, Miami, that type of thing. Uh, but really a, a great representation from the school system in a lot of areas in Sarasota, but also great in the football area.
0: Well, I mean, when you think of f- Florida, it's football and baseball and everything else after that. It's the football state. And yeah, I've covered high school football here for a lot of years. And I've seen a lot of great – I saw Tommy Frazier play at Manatee. I saw Adrian McPherson. You know, Peter Warwick, you know, played at high school ball up here before he went on to FSU. Uh, we just had a couple of players. Uh, one guy in the fifth round, Jamar Johnson, was a, a defensive back for one of the high schools here. He was just taken by the Broncos in the fifth round. We had a couple more guys signed as free agents. So uh, the center for the Chiefs, Austin Reader from this area, the starting center for the Chiefs. Uh, the, the 49ers have a return guy named Richie James uh, who uh, played at football at Riverview High School. I covered him. So we've had a lot of football players come through this area. And, listen, they're fast and they're athletic. And that's what Florida breeds. It breeds fast, athletic guys. So that's what you want for, 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 the, for, the, for, for football. Whether it's, so we've had our share of people come out of this area. And uh, it's a testament to the coaching and the, the players down here. Because uh, you guys know the, you know, the, the odds. Uh, one half of one percent maybe makes college. One half of that percent goes on to the NFL. So to make it, it's really something.
1: Doug, Doug I, I want to thank you so much for for being on this this period of time. We Doug, hope you'll join us many times and save up know, because oh, i be I'm down there. I need somebody to buy lunch.
0: Uh, <laughs> you, eat like, you, you eat like two Another burgers, free uh, one, Don. So no
6: problem. <laughs> Doug, <laughs> thank you so much. Great. We'll talk. We'll talk,
1: talk you. soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Doug. <laughs> Mister Le- Mister Ledbetter is standing by Let me jump in here. And uh, first of all, welcome to the show. Uh, Roger Hendler is in Atlanta. Billy Gil Tommy uh, Tommy G. Tommy Gilbert is in uh, uh, Tampa. I'm in New Jersey, <laughs> along the Jersey Shore. And of course, uh, our, our ringleader—he's always uh, out there somewhere in the between Sarasota <laughs> and Tampa. Frank. So I'll let I'll let uh, I'll let Doug uh, start it or not, uh, but I'll let the uh, Roger, started off this time.
2: Okay. Hey, Daryl, it's good to talk to you. I, I can't wait to see you. And I'll tell you, Saturday night I had my first experience at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I was there for the United. And I'm looking at all the, the Falcon team pictures, and I'm thinking of 2008 when I saw a very young 22-year-old Matt Ryan and Sam Baker in that team picture. And, boy, it brought back memories. It's hard to believe how long ago that was.
8: Yeah, Roger and uh, guys, thanks for having me on the show. It's been uh, time five, Roger. I was there for that draft and uh, uh, that season where they went 11-5, and five, snuck into the playoffs, and laid the foundation for a pretty good run under Coach Mike Smith. And uh, Matt Ryan, uh, you know, carried it on with through Dan Quinn in the Super Bowl. And now they are trying to put it back together, and he's still here at age 36. He turns 36
2: on Tuesday. Yeah, we're still here too, Daryl. But yeah, you know, <laughs> I was listening to I was listening today. How do you look at the Falcons? Uh, they obviously have now t- with uh, Kyle Pettit. I mean, he's from Philadelphia. I went to fish, uh, Archbishop Wood after Appington High School. They say he was probably the best player in the entire draft and they're loaded now at tight end but what do you think Julio Jones is going to be around when the season starts or do you think that he'll be
4: traded
8: yeah I, I think he's going to be traded uh, their, their salary cap situation is just so dire that uh, he has to uh, they have to do something there I know they're trying to figure out a way to keep him but uh, at this point it's looking like that's not going to be possible uh, so that'll be a big, uh, you know, big uh, problem for them and losing one of their major, major weapons.
1: Tommy Gilbert, you're on with Daryl. Go to it. Hey, Daryl, how you doing?
0: Oh, I just, hey, I just can't believe it. I'm doing great. So I'm looking forward to. I guess hey, Daryl, I got everybody. I got to tell you a funny story. This happened. You know, we still got the hockey going on. Tampa got the playoffs tomorrow night. But I guess they're kind of late. One one hockey game and. I'm walking in the parking lot and my friend Kevin head of security says, Tommy, stay here for a minute, right? Here's D- Derek Brooks driving up Tom Brady in the car, right? And there, I'm a diehard Eagle fan. So I said, congratulations winning the Super Bowl. And the words came out really, really slowly. But Derek Brooks said, don't worry, Tom, he's an Eagle fan.
6: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I, I that
0: day. <laughs> well i'm glad you're I'm glad you're on the show. I want to ask you one question. Is there any pressure on Matt Ryan this year with the Falcons not winning anything? No, I think they've chosen to uh lay their
8: foundation with Matt Ryan. He's got three years left on his contract, and if everything goes well, you know they could read him up uh and, and carry him into his forties uh you know it's not a situation where uh, they they had a chance to draft his heir apparent here uh, and, and passed on Justin Fields and Mac Jones. So uh, it looks like Arthur Smith is is fine with Matt Ryan as his quarterback for the uh, you know foreseeable future and maybe even long term here as uh, they try to put in a, a power running attack to go with him uh, you know and, and try to get back to being competitive first and then start trying to make a run up in the standings
1: and into the return to the playoffs. Now, I'll chat Dallas. a little bit about because Quinn just, uh, uh, of course, he was fired in the early part of last year in Atlantic. He hooked on with Dallas, and that was the defensive coordinator. Uh, I thought that was one of the most unfortunate things that uh, happened in the National Football League in a few years. Uh, he was at the Super Bowl. He was going to win the Super Bowl, and one of his assistant coaches made a big mistake, and they they lost it. Then the next year they were – Came on, they were pretty good again. Uh, and then this year, they the, champion, the uh, beginning of the season, they never should have lost, and that was the end of Quinn.
8: Yeah, no question about it. Uh, losing in Philadelphia on the one-yard line in the divisional round, uh, you know, they could have went to the Super Bowl. Maybe they would have got that rematch with the Patriots, but the Eagles Eagles got that and handled their business. And then after that um, – you know uh uh the lack of they tried to rebuild the offensive line, and that didn't work out so well uh and then you know they um, you know go to seven and nine uh finish six and two that season after a one and seven start uh and then they think they got it put back together and then come back and lose the first five games this year, two of them in just horrible fashion, blowing big leads uh the Harris Colts- right. came back into play again where uh uh you know, they stood around and watched an onside kick and, and then just couldn't cover anybody or, or have a pass rush. So uh, that that, uh, that was the end of Coach Quinn here in Atlanta. Uh, he's in Dallas now as a defensive coordinator, and he'll probably uh, – I think he did a good enough job to, to maybe get another shot at a head coaching job here down the road.
1: I think it's a great well, buy for, for the Dallas Cowboys. I, I think he's going to be a big, I big think. asset to that organization.
2: <laughs> well yeah yeah <laughs> you, know, you know the other uh, yeah, thing daryl you hit the nail on the head about what they're they're trying to do now and that's to go back to that uh, that that time beginning in 08 with the power running game when they had michael turner and ovi mohali i mean that was one of the i think that was one of the strengths of that team and of course you know uh, mike smith had uh, mike malarkey as the offensive coordinator who i've always had a lot of respect for and uh but is that what they're really trying to do now with that power running game is to go back like you and I saw in, in that period of beginning in 08?
8: Yeah, no doubt. That's what he did in Tennessee, but he had Derrick Henry. We don't have Michael Turner here. He's not on the roster, Roger. Uh, Mike Davis, uh, a you know backup six-year guy. I uh, ran pretty good up in Carolina last year. That's who they have now, and um, you know they they signed a couple guys in the undrafted part. Uh, the kid from Hawkins, Tavian Hawkins from Louisville, but he's only a buck eighty-two, so he's a speed back. And the other back they signed was uh, uh, Caleb Huntley out of Ball State. He ran for twenty-nine hundred yards at Ball State. Five uh, eleven, two two twenty-nine. So he's a bigger back in the Turner mode. So you got a young guy that you can, you know, hope can back up Davis and uh, give you a good one-two tandem, and then you be, you'll be able to throw your play action stuff off of those two guys.
0: Tommy. Right. Well, that's a that's a good thing about that with be just the NFL right now. Hopefully, we'll get the NFL. Hopefully, get the NFL. Um, hey, Daryl, do you think the Atlanta area misses a game of hockey? And I know Roger's up there now. He went to the rashes games. Yes. and Okay. And What about the NHL not being in Atlanta right now? They had a couple opportunities. The trash just, you know, just had all that anxiety and fans, and then this took off, and now just inexcusable about that. So, hopefully, we think about hockey coming back to Atlanta. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think we struck out on
8: hockey, but we've seen it succeed in Florida and Nashville. So, um, you know, I think uh, if they got another shot at it, market marketed right, and uh, – Uh, got the team together, you know, folks uh, in Atlanta or, you know, it's enough folks that have been transplanted here now that could carry the torch, uh, you know, educate the Southern folks that, you know, there's something more to do uh, in in basketball and spring football season. (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, And the the art of hockey, just the beauty of the ballet on ice would be, uh, you know, something that could probably make it now that you've got, you know, top flight facilities, uh you know and you got a fan base that is you know kind of a built in fan base of your transplant that could uh you know grow the sport and make it uh successful just like it is down in Tampa and it is in uh Nashville right now
6: mhm roger
2: yeah i was i'll tell you one thing daryl i uh, I was impressed with mercedes uh, mercedes benz stadium but i'll t- and the one thing is they got uh, multiple elevators to go to the press box. They got one <laughs> express and three other ones. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
8: they did upgrade the media set up for uh for us and uh, that was with in mind of getting that Super Bowl, maybe another Super Bowl and some World Cup games here in the future. You know, everything's off schedule with the pandemic, but uh yeah, it's a world class facility. Uh, I uh, I thought better than Jerry Jones is uh, Jerry World. Uh, and I have to see the L.A. one and the uh, Vegas one, the Death Star. But uh, the uh, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium is a world-class facility. No question about it. I well, down you've been it. done to
1: cover, cover the bucks. And uh, if you've had the pleasure with Raymond James to ride up that elevator, Tommy will tell you, one of the real classics mm-hmm. of building.
8: <laughs> oh, yeah, no doubt. I love Rachel. And they get me every time when they start shooting that cannon off down there. <laughs>
1: if you get in if you get in early enough, you may make it to the press
2: box by halftime.
8: Yeah, yeah, yeah you got to get hey, that Hey, listen, Don, what, a, and...
2: what, a, what about the one at the vet? The one elevator at the vet that made a local <laughs> making all-star stops. And a guy asked Dizzy one time, did you learn the route yet? That was the classic line. <laughs> I'll tell oh, you, God. Roger,
1: as bad as the vet was, they've got a giant elevator, Raymond James. But tell me, tell them about it. That's, we never know where it's going.
0: <laughs> the time, Daryl, you check your bags in the security. I don't mind doing that. <laughs> then you've got to play, well, which elevator going to the press box? They always stop at one. No one's at one. No one's on two. The balance goes up to the press box, and, and there's finally, you know, people getting on and off the elevator instead of having to non-stop go down there. But <laughs> I, I got one better for you, Darrell. You'll have this playoff game, right? This is probably, I'll say, 2015, 2015, okay? You know, Lightning was going, going against Pittsburgh. So, anyway, the, the press box elevator are the worst operators. It's supposed to come up at a one-minute mark. To bring the coaches down but so she's she's she was down on the first floor the coach and everybody's waiting for the first waiting for her to come up there so we i said to them i said to a couple of my co workers let's just get the i know just follow me we're we'll going this way go through the building come out and exit through security and the elevator is still stuck up there it <laughs> <Stuck. laughs> was stuck up there but oh god what uh, up the elevators and Going to the press boxes and and the different venues in the country, it's got to be, it's not a job. It's an adventure how to get there.
1: (laughs) Well, Dale, I don't Um, know if you're older, as old as Roger and I are, but the the number one, the all-time best, was uh, at Shy Park, which turned out to be Connie Mack Stadium uh, before they built the vet. If you were ever there to see a football game and you got in the (laughs) elevator, got in the elevator at Shy Park, it held about three people, and it took you about 15 minutes to get up to the third level. You
6: remember that, Roger?
2: Oh, I do, But and I'll tell you what. I remember that game we were there, Don, was uh, when uh, uh, Brian built would not allow the Ravens to play in that preseason right. game, and the, mm-hmm. uh, the press box elevator got stuck, and it's in August <laughs> on a hot night, Darrell, and here's 18 people. In the elevator, and 17 men, one woman, Lucy Jones, and she had a bottle of water and was offering around. It took 45 minutes for the fire department to get as 18
8: people in
6: that
2: elevator.
8: Oh uh, <laughs> man, that's a I started around the Cookie Cutter Stadium area and Three Rivers and uh, uh, Pittsburgh and the Cincinnati Riverfront No Stadium. So they had gotten the elevator situation a little better by then, I guess. <laughs>
6: well
1: dallas give us a uh, give us a, a sort of a thumbnail sketch now of uh, what you think going in and you can only guess because uh, the people that say they know so much so really don't know <laughs> but what what teams do you think are maybe minimal or better uh, judgments about direct draft or better judgments about trades or better judgment to go into the season better prepared what do you think
8: well, I really like Buffalo, Kansas City of course in the AFC, those are the top 2. Uh Cleveland's on the come up. So, um uh that's new, that'll be real new uh in the AFC. And in the NFC, it's kind of wide open. Uh you know the um you know uh, Tampa Bay has got everything back. So everybody's going to be chasing the Bucs again. So, uh the Rams are reshuffling, Seattle's reshuffling, San Francisco's reshuffling. Uh, and, and then you got, uh, you know, folks up in the north, Green Bay's a hot mess after uh, getting to the championship game. So, looks like a clear path for the Bucks. And then the AFC looks like, uh, uh, you know, another knockdown drag out between the Chiefs and Buffalo and with the Browns maybe playing the spoiler role. So, uh, we'll see some people come out of the pack. But, you know, maybe Dallas can come out of the pack. Uh, maybe the Rams can put it back together. But uh, maybe San Francisco can put it back together. But, yeah, that's kind of, you know, after the draft and free agent signing, um, that's kind of what it looks like to me in the AFC
2: and the NFC. Roger? Hello. Hey, okay.
1: Harold, what
2: do you what do you think about Aaron Rodgers? Do you think that uh, you have any idea where he might wind up? Yeah, no, I think they'll work
8: it out. I mean, you know, it's uh, uh, he needs – uh, Green Bay needs him and, um, you know, usually money takes care of everything and and, and they've got money, so it's not like they're, they're not going to get him there. He's not going to get an extra year on his contract. He needs to just go ahead and print up some shirts uh, with Last Dance 2 on it and, and go ahead and try to win one more and get on out of there.
2: there you. I'm with you, and, and you're used to cover the Packers, so you know what it's like up there. Oh, yeah, uh, from
8: 92 to 2000, yeah, me and Bob McGinn were at the Milwaukee Journal, then the Journal Sentinel, and, uh, you know, I wasn't there for his uh, time, but left right before that, uh, right right, uh, after he got drafted and and so forth. But, yeah, I was all Brett Favre uh, and Ray Rhodes for one year and then Mike Sherman for a year after Hunger. So, yeah, the fans are, you know, they're going to want what's best for the team. Uh, But they respect Aaron Rodgers and what he's brought to the franchise. It's just stunning to me that over the 26 years of Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, all they got to show for it is two Super Bowls.
6: Yeah, it was
1: almost the same situation, Darrell, because they they signed Rodgers behind Favre, uh, you know, and now they're signed this young man two years, not this season, but the season before behind Rodgers. He didn't know they were going to make a quarterback change, at least that's what they've been saying. So it's really the same situation, and uh, he, I think I agree with you. I think he's just gonna have to suck it up and play there because I don't think he's gonna be able to make
6: a move for them.
8: Yeah, no doubt. The only only my new difference was Favre kept saying, "Oh, I'm gonna retire. I don't know. I might retire. I don't know." They went through that for a couple of years, and then they're like, well, "Okay, we gotta back ourselves up if you're not going if you're gonna retire." And so. Um, right When Aaron dropped him, they took him But this one was different They traded up to get this kid that uh, uh, You know, needed some work and some development uh, And, you know, kind of saying Hey, the clock is running on Aaron Rodgers And now he doesn't like the fact that the uh, clock uh, is winding down
0: And uh,
8: tried to force their hand into extending him And uh, they don't want to do it
2: You know, guys I'll tell you, Daryl had some great stories about when he was covering the Packers, when Andy Reid, John McGruden were all on Mike Holmgren's staff. And, uh, you know, talk about that, Darrell. When you guys would be eating dinner at night and they would be putting down all kinds of uh, plays on napkins and everything.
8: Oh, uh, yeah, no doubt. I
6: used to stay
8: at the uh, Best Westerns, uh, Fuzzy Thurston's, and, uh, you know, a lot of the coaches would come through there at night for dinner and then you'd go back into the facility. And, yeah, Andy was the tight end coach. Uh, uh, John Gruden had Sterling Sharp. And uh, Sherman Lewis was my guy. And uh, Sherman Lewis was teaching me the West Coast offense on bar napkins there (laughs) on how the uh, slant should come out, how the ball should never touch the ground in 7-0-7, uh, and why, uh, you know, Fred Favre and Mark Burnell were in a neck-on-neck battle because of the decision-making they had to make in the uh, you know, uh, West Coast offense. They they were really close to pulling Brett Favre at one point to uh, go to Mark Brunell, but Pongren uh, uh, decided to stay with him. Uh, then they traded. Then Brunell went to Jacksonville in the uh, in the expansion draft. And, and uh, you know, a lot of both is history for both of those guys. But yeah, those coaches were great. It's always great when I catch back up with Andy and uh, uh, you know, Coach Gruden and uh, Coach Sherman's retired now up in Detroit. Greg Blanche was the defensive line coach, and he was always fun. Uh, you know, and he had Reggie White and Sean Jones up there. stuff. So that was back when the, the, the players liked the beat writers.
6: <laughs> right, mm-hmm. right. Tommy?
2: We remember those exactly. days, Don. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Tommy? I think a good place around Rodgers should be on Jeopardy as a host. That's <laughs> what <So> I think it's <laughs> the situation. I mean, no, you got great I
1: reviews, mean, Tommy. You got great reviews, then. I think he was trying to use that as a little bit of leverage. Let's go back to Roger's question about Ryan in Atlanta. Uh, are they going to be able to give him enough support, help? Uh, you know, he, there's certain things he can do extremely well, and certain things he can't. Uh, what do you think about that, Daryl?
8: Yeah, yeah. Um, they know the book on that, and uh, it's been told to me that if you can uh, firm up the interior of his pocket, then he can step through his throws so he knows where the ball's got to go when he's running on the move and so forth and he's running for his life uh you know it's uh you know they're, they're gonna be in a bad place he's been sacked 131 times over the last three years and when you count his sacks hurries and hits uh you know i ran these numbers on my podcast this week on the Botox chronicle so it was over it was over 24 percent this year 26 uh, uh 19 and then like 23 in uh 2018 so i mean that's on every he dropped back 10 times three of the plays he's getting hit sacked a hurry so that's no way for the quarterback to live if you're going to be throwing that much so they got to cut down his attempts uh because that line can block and, and um you know catch people off guard with play action and so forth if they're going to uh maximize matt ryan in his uh you know in his 30s 30, 36 uh in his late 30s and so forth so They know what they got to do. Do they have the talent? Uh, They could have solved the problem by taking Penae so well in the uh, draft, but they went with a better player. So, um, you know, so they still have a problem. So they're going to coach up the line and grab the two linemen out of, um, you know, Michigan and Stanford to go with uh, the guys they got from Washington and Boston College a couple years ago and Jake Matt. And then they're just going to try to get after people and coach these linemen up. And hopefully get Matt Ryan's pocket together because they they know, uh, you know he can deliver the ball if you put the weapons around him and and keep him relatively clean. You can't have him under
2: that much duress. Roger, yeah, you're you're exactly right, uh, Daryl. Because uh, you, you know he can that body can only take so much, and especially uh, as he advances in in years. You know that's one of the things with Tom Brady uh he was uh, pretty kept pretty uh clean uh they both had the, those one season where they had the uh the i guess it was the ankle uh, uh injury where you know knocked them out for the season but uh how, how does the uh how do you think that uh the, the tight ends will do you think they'll be running a double uh tight end formation a lot since they've got the talent there uh, yeah, he, he
8: ran a lot of 12s. Um, he ran a lot of twelve with the Titans last year, like 20% more than anybody else in the league. So uh, that's what he likes to attack out of, and he has to balance out defenses with, with for Derrick Henry too with that. He's got, um, you know, one Lee Smith, a, a blocking tight end from Buffalo, to kind of, you know, be on the strong side. You can't have two pass catchers out there when you're doing that. So um, he's got Jaden, uh, he's got uh, Jaden Graham, Hayden Hurst, and Pitt as the catching guys, and then he's bringing in a bunch of you know bulky. He's got like seven tight ends on the roster right now. So yeah, we're pretty sure he's going to be going straight uh, I formation, double tight, and maybe one wide because you know Julio's going to be gone <laughs> uh, perhaps, and, and then uh, you know running kind of some old school formations for. us. So that'll be interesting to see.
1: Daryl, thank you very, very much for this yeah. contribution to the show. It's always great uh, to have you on, and I you hope well, you'll join yeah, us again. Good. And, and we got, uh, we're got, we going to stay down there talking a little bit uh, about yeah, soccer, too, been, because Roger had a chance to see that new Mercedes stadium, but Mike Zimzak is ready to join us right now, our soccer expert. And uh, I don't know whether he's been down to see the new stadium or not. Mike, how you doing? Uh, hey, uh, hey, Don. Uh, I just want
3: to tell Daryl not to care,
4: forget Darryl. if he gets the so Sarasota. Much, yeah, Maybe he has to buy you a lunch.
8: All right. No doubt. I'll buy the lunch.
4: (laughs) Okay. Thanks
8: for having me, guys. It's great always coming on the show and talking with you. I appreciate it. Hey, it's always a pleasure,
6: buddy. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much, partner. It's always a pleasure to have you on, and we get a lot of information, which is great. Now we get to turn it over to the soccer man. And, uh, Mike, uh, as I said, Roger had a great chance to see the new a stadium there, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and uh, what's happening in, in Atlanta. Uh, what's on your top agenda today?
7: Well, I mean, Roger, not only did he get to see a great stadium, but he saw the great game. Uh, you know, any time to get to see a game, I'm sure it could have been a little bit more exciting throughout, but a 94th-minute goal uh, is always kind of exciting. So I'm glad that Roger got to go down and see that great facility that they got down in Atlanta and uh, to enjoy great game with the uh, with Atlanta United who are um, starting to uh, round into a little bit of form they took it earlier they took took it on the chin earlier uh, in the month against the Union in their home and home series in the Child Cash Champions League but they're starting to pick up some more wins Uh, Joseph Martinez their star striker the uh, NFL record hold and MLS record holder for goals in the season. He's coming off of a catastrophic uh, ACL injury, but he's getting back amongst the goals. So it's looking like uh, we could see Atlanta United improving. As far as soccer goes, uh, it's a big weekend this weekend. It's the final weekend of the regular season over in Europe. So, uh, you know, the Premier League, all of their games are going to be on uh, NBC at 11 o'clock. All the games start at 11. So there'll be 10 games there. Uh, in Spain, uh, Atletico Madrid can pick up their first title in seven years.
1: Now, are you talking uh, about 11 a.m. or what? what?
7: 11 a.m. With a m. Well, the
1: difference in time. Uh, 11 p.m. or 11 a.m. what?
7: 11 a.m. 11 a.m. Okay. Yeah. So, the, it's just going to be a full day of uh, final games with uh, league positions. Uh, the title race in France and Spain is still up for grabs. Uh, Atletico Madrid could pick up their first Spanish title in seven years. Uh, Lille, who is one of the great underrated stories, are leading the French League over uh, PSG, who are one of the wealthiest clubs in the world. Uh, and for them to win that French League would be a major upset. Uh, and then uh, in two weeks, or, um, well, about two, three weeks on the 10th of June, we have to start uh the European Championships, which were postponed from COVID, so a lot coming up in the soccer world in the next couple of weeks and throughout the summer. Tommy?
0: That's uh, a good thing about that. You know, the soccer's kicking back, but Mike, what about your, it turns it's tails of hockey, what about the Washington-Boston series? That's going to be a very, that's a very interesting series right now. I mean, I, I see this half one year games at and I do think this is, you think that's just got enough motivation to get back to the, to beat this Boston Hockey Club.
7: I think that the – I said last week I thought this was going to be a close series, and the first two games have uh, proved me right. You got both of them going to overtime. Um, right. Some hard hits. I mean, if you saw that hit from Tom Wilson yeah. in the first oh, period right. of the game uh, on Monday, he sent the Bruins forward two rows into their bench. Um, these teams have played each other eight times, there's no reason to expect that there's gonna be any sort of feeling out process or right. slow start. They know what they're getting into. They know who they're playing against. And they're coming out um, you know, firing away. I think a big thing that came out today out of the practice for the uh, Capitals was that both uh, getting off and Ilya Sansonov were part of the practice and Peter Laviolette announced that they'll both travel to Boston, whose Mets off will be a valuable addition because he's you know, yeah. he's a goal scorer. Uh, but Samsonov could be the bigger one with uh, Folesky injured right now. They were starting Craig Anderson in the first game. Having Samsonov back, he was their predicted starter throughout most of the season. Uh, some disciplinary issues, a suspension and uh, being placed in the COVID protocol uh, hurt him late. But I'm sure that uh, given the option, they'd like to have him in net uh, for the series in Boston, and that could be a a difference maker for them as they look to even up up or take the lead in a
2: series.
1: Well, Mike, as you said, it's been a terrific series so far. I mean, you're talking about overtime, overtime, uh, one goal, one goal, obviously. Uh, And you mentioned they played very close to the vest all the time that they played each other. So, Roger, jump in.
2: Well, yeah, I wanted to just uh, bring a couple of scoring uh, updates, uh, Mike. Uh, the uh, Atlanta United uh, two is up uh, over Tulsa 4 nothing, playing up at the uh, stadium at uh, Kennesaw State. Um, and then also, the Braves just took the lead over the uh, Mets three to one. Uh, a couple going to back, you and I talked about this on your show the other night, and I think it'd be interesting. Uh, uh, for the other uh, fellows that uh, probably don't follow soccer, definitely as much as you don't, uh, or as you do, I should say. Uh, the age of officials and the amount of uh, running that they do in soccer, to me, is unbelievable. Uh, the, the field official, because you can have three and four officials, uh, you know, with the linesman. Uh, but we talked about that, and uh, you know, talk about and and, the, and what their salaries are, which are so low compared to other sports.
7: Yeah, I think you brought it up that the you did the research to find out that the uh, average official over here makes about fifty five thousand dollars a year, um, and we compared it to the salary of the uh, English officials in their top league, the Premier League, which is around a hundred thousand pounds, right? So uh, definitely the MLS officials are the lowest paid. And, you know, they tend to be a little bit on the younger side. They were announcing one of the guys who had been around in England. This was his last match. And he's probably retiring in his late – he looks to be in his his mid to late 40s as he's uh, retiring. Most of the officials uh, retire before they reach the age of 50 because of the amount of running. You figure – if you are the primary match official, they can be running up and down the field. They can put in, you know, six, eight Ks in kilometers in the course of the game. It's a lot. And like you said, it's in almost all these, if there's only one primary official on the field and then the two linesmen, the fourth official is over there to manage the time and to... Uh, Keep track of substitutions, the number of players on the field, and and bring bring bringing substitutions. So it's really a lot of running, a lot of stress, a lot of 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 concentration, uh, and a heavy burden to put place on one official. You you consider how many officials you have in in a hockey game. There's three on the ice.
2: Tommy. Yes. Yeah, and a smaller, smaller uh, arena, a, a playing surface. than the well, smaller would playing much
0: surf, much what you have, what you have is you know you have the, for the playoffs right now. They have the two officials and two linesmen right now. This came in, effect in a couple of years, a couple of years ago, especially in the playoffs right now. The way the hitting has been going on for each team in the playoffs right now. So you got to have in the old days this is a referee and two linesmen. Now you got two referees and two linesmen to to control the play.
7: Yeah, so you you have know, four skating on a much smaller surface. Right. You know, in the uh, NFL, I don't know, you, it seems like you have about 40,000 refs. You have almost as many refs as you have right. players on an NFL field. Um, and then for a soccer match to only have really the one primary ref, that's a lot of ground when you think about how much ground they have to cover throughout mm-hmm. the top course of the game, and they're running everywhere. So it's not surprising that they tend to have – a little bit of a shorter career because the physical fitness that they need to maintain to be able to keep up with the pace of the game is, uh, is a challenge. Um, that they make, the 55000 that they make as an MLS ref, um, I'm guessing that they probably don't just ref Premier, uh, MLS. You probably would uh, have, to have to be FIFA certified to be a ref at that level, but they're probably picking up other matches in other places uh, d- throughout the United States. Uh, we were talking about the fact that uh, one of the refs in the MLS, their top ref, recently was on a team that did one of the uh, European games, right? I think one of the uh, Champions League court semifinals, which is a big deal. That means this ref that we have, I forget who, um, that person's name, is apparently one of the best refs in the world to be able to be there to ref such a high-profile game. Well,
6: Mike, yeah, we touched on
1: we I, touched on everything but football. How about the Washington football team? We got that. We got the soccer <laughs> in, we got the the hockey in. How about the Washington football club?
7: I think the big news out of uh, Asperger was the announcement uh, that Ryan Kerrigan wasn't going to be returning this year. The uh, career sacks leader. For the uh, Washington football team and so he made the announcement on Monday and by Monday afternoon it was announced that he had signed for the Philadelphia Eagles for the Eagles perspective it'll be really interesting to see how they use him Uh, he's played primarily as a linebacker for the Redskins but his natural position is actually defensive end and uh, when you listen to a lot of the commentators uh, down here and the uh, talk radio hosts and even the fans, everybody who's pretty much unanimous in saying, you know, he's a great player, he's got great instincts, he's clearly developed an ability to get his quarterback, and he is really great at disrupting pass plays, but when it comes to covering, that's sort of his weak point, so... You know, a really good player, probably one of the better players that they've drafted and kept doing the dance fighter air, but also a player mm-hmm. who spent so much of his career playing for, uh, let's call them subpar defensive coordinators who spent his entire NFL career playing out of position. Uh, how the Eagles, What the Eagles are looking for from him, you know, are they going to line him up at defense and are they going to line him up at outside linebacker? How are they going to utilize him? I guess that's only a question they only, only they know. Tommy?
0: Yeah, it's just interesting. What's the, you know, what's the Washington Nationals doing right now? Baseball is coming up to the Memorial Day holiday. And that. Do you think this is where they want to be, Mike, right now?
7: Uh, I would guarantee you that 16-22 and 22 is not where they want to be. We talked right. last week and in previous weeks about the fact that, you know, they were kind of scuffling. They, they gotten off. a rather slow start, and again, they dropped the series uh, two or three, and they lost the opener to the uh, Chicago Cubs. They did give Max Scherzer some run support and racked up 17 on the uh, Diamondbacks in his last start, but even in that start, he only went five innings. Uh, it, It continues to be the same story for the Washington Nationals. They can't get a lot of hitting when they get good pitching, and when they do get a good hitting, sometimes their pitching just fails. So at some point in time, they're going to have to put together something that resembles a string of complete outings. You know they're three and seven in their last 10, so they're mm. falling, they've fallen five games behind uh, the, the pace right now in the NL East. It's early, and that's, that's recoverable. You, you can see them make those games up especially given how many times they have to play the Mets, the Braves, the Marlins, and the Phils. But they've really got – David Martinez has got to start figuring out how to get his guys to make contact with the
2: ball. Roger? Same, with the same thing with the Phillies, Mike. Okay, uh, they're, they're down 2-1 uh, to one to the uh, Miami. <laughs> Uh, and uh, I'll tell you, the uh, the only uh, run they have is because uh, Andrew McCutcheon hit a home run. Last night they were able to come back and win uh, late, but I don't get it. And I think Bryce Harper, I don't think he, he has – I think they should have spent that money uh, on him and they should have uh, spread it around and developed more pitching. Uh, because I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of Harper, but he just has not – produce, like a guy making, what, 33 or $34 million a year. He just is not. I
7: think it was, he was only going to get a contract that was going to be up for him to live up to. He had the whole stellar season down here where he won the MVP. And right. a couple of really good ones. But other than that, it wasn't like he was that dynamic, um, you know, think Albert Pujols in his prime player that was basically carrying the team through the playoffs. You know, it was after he left that they won the World Series and started to put everything together. Um, I, I think he he always was burdened a little bit with a contract that he wasn't going to get, uh, be able to live up to. But even Mike, though, how would you like to be uh, Lindor
1: with the Mets making <laughs> Just signed a contract for, what, $230 million? He's hitting 185 and hadn't done anything in New York.
7: Yeah. And, you know, when these guys get these contracts, these big money contracts, it's always, you know, you're always going to pay a bit over the odds for it. It's almost impossible. I can't think of anybody as a hitter who's really lived up to that free agent contract. Oof. You know, you make the argument, that as far as pitchers go, maybe you know Max Scherzer's definitely been worth the money that they gave him. I would say probably Mike Messina was definitely worth the money that the Yankees gave him. Um, right. You know, even Pedro Martinez with the Red Sox, you can make the argument that some of the pitchers, but definitely I, I struggle to think of a free agent hitter who's gone someplace for big money and had the kind of impact that you would expect them to have at that price well zone. it's it's not Stanton and, I can tell you that
1: he he's having you know, a half this year, but now he's hurt again
7: you see and, he, and harper's not having a awful year by his standards, but he's not going to be a um you know a three fifty uh 21 he's not uh, he's never been the type of player that was going to put up lines like a Miguel Braille used to in his prime or Al Pujols used to in, in, in his prime. You know, this is not the player that Bryce Harper has ever been.
2: Tommy. Yeah, you're right. That's I'm,
0: you're right. I am worried about that. So, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting coming up what the Capitals can do against the Bruins. I mean, I'm picking the Capitals, and I think I'm in seven games, Mike, uh, but the, what they did to the um, Bruins last year was total domination. I think I think Obeskin and you know, T.J. Oshie carried that club to that one cup this one, that one year. And I think they're going to do the same thing this year, getting the Eastern conference finals versus the Tampa Bay Lightning, what, I, what I've seen so far.
7: You know, they, they, I think they really do. Uh, I know if you had asked any of the fans in this area, any of the Caps fans, mm-hmm. when T.J. Oshie was drafted, you know, 14, yes. 15, 16 years ago, you know, he's come in, he's going to have one of the greatest goal-scoring careers and he'll win a Stanley Cup. We've mm-hmm. been very, very happy with that. The fact of the matter is, though, after the last one, after the team that they have, there's uh, this lingering feeling that if they don't get to at least another Eastern Conference final or mm-hmm. even more a Stanley Cup final, because yep. it wasn't like he was getting to multiple Stanley Cup finals and losing you know, there Mm -hmm. were a lot of seasons where they never even made it out of the second round, and I think Mm -hmm. that one of the he's going to have a Hall of Fame career. He's going to have his number retired. He's going down in Washington capital mythology, but I still think that if it doesn't end with another spin, it's going to be kind of like that Drew Brees with defense syndrome. You know, oh, it's great Mm -hmm. that we won one, but i have
6: that
2: lingering. Roger? Mm-hmm. Well, if you want to stay uh, uh, with uh, uh, hockey, uh, Tommy, go ahead. No, I was,
0: just, I, was just, I was just thinking, I think you're exactly right, Mike, because the uh, Vetchkins having a you know, good year watch the you know, watch the Bruins and the Bruins also had that lackluster what the Lightning did until last year. I think it's Eastern Conference final ago go with it now, Lightning in Washington. But the Lightning always well, Washington. So got
7: remember, Tommy. There is no such a thing as an Conference final. So, the, you know, they couldn't, you know, play the Lightning. who knows, Montreal, you know, Edmonton, Vegas, mm-hmm. because they receded after the, you know, that yeah, So, you know, the Caps could make it to the semifinals and play the Lightning, which would be. a you're, they could also play Edmonton or Montreal. They could play Vegas. They right. could play Winnipeg, one of the team, other teams out west. It could be that you end up with a matchup. Of, uh, uh, the Capitals and the Cup finals would be a great Finals. Exactly. So, is, I so saw the like, Vegas game the other night.
1: There. That was no. a terrific tra- it, it yeah. one thing about the Vegas games, They come on late. So you get a chance, uh, everything pretty much is over. And, and uh, yeah. so I had a chance to see a lot. I didn't see it all. But I, I saw, that was a great game. I mean, uh, I I, I, I'm, I, mean, I root for Vegas only because they're a team that came into the league with nothing <laughs> and uh, have been able to be so representative in such a short period of time.
7: Mm.
1: Uh, I think the organization is really outstanding.
7: Oh, they've done, you know, when you look at the level that they played, they made the Stanley Cup Finals in their first year of existence. Hey, right. um, you know, last year might have been a little bit of a down season, but I watched them over the weekend, uh, and they look like a, a solid te- cl- contender again. And, you know, if they're one of those teams that as long as Marc-Andre Fleury is playing well, he's a proven mm-hmm. playoff goalkeeper, when you have something like that uh, guarding the net for you, it makes it a whole lot easier to compete in the playoffs. And I think that right. was part of the problem that the Capitals were having especially in the last game, in the first two games, but especially in the last game. Which, you know, uh, the Bruins are playing in front of Tuka Rask. You feel a little bit of confidence when you're playing in front of Tuka Rask. The uh, Caps are playing in front mm-hmm. of Craig Anderson. I had to look him up. I didn't even know who he was. I
0: think it's with Jersey a couple of years ago, Mike. That's what it was.
7: I thought he was an announcer for ESPN.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they not not down, Mike. Put the
7: skates on them,
2: gone <laughs> right I,
7: I thought they just pulled somebody off for of the off of the out of the uh you know like the zamboni drive for for for, for that they pulled out <laughs>
2: Toronto, yeah, remember that
6: oh, or God. the um, <laughs> or the
7: backup goalkeeper. wasn't it the kid from uh Carolina who had to go in there
6: yeah, well, yeah, he that's had to right in there, was, yeah. yeah, yeah,
0: did he I thought he won a game too for that. Yeah, he did. did, he, did he, he would have came for, for, from driving his Zamboni to Corny. I, to, now I had to pay slop shots to get these NHL stars. What a, what a way to write a book, huh?
1: <laughs> well, Mike, thank you very much, as always, for your <laughs> contribution to the show. We'll look forward to next week because there will be so many things going on in your field, <laughs> uh, as you said, at the top of the show. Thank you very much, and uh, look forward to our meeting next week. Uh, all
7: right, Mike. Abbott. Talk to you guys. Y'all you have a nice week.
1: Thanks a lot. Thank you. Be safe. Doug Bye. Hamilton <laughs> is on the line, and this is the week for the PGA. It starts tomorrow, and uh, I, I was looking at the boards today and what starting times were and what matchups were of players, and uh, they're playing at Kiwa on the uh, coast course. And uh, so, Doug Hamilton, you're our PGA professional information sure. man. Uh, have you ever played Kiowa?
5: You know what? It's it's very painful for me to admit this, but uh, many years ago, I went on a golf trip. Um, I took uh, one of my assistants and uh, a couple guys from the grounds crew, and uh, one of the members had set up a trip for us to go down there. We played um, Briars Creek. Uh, which is on the island, and Cacique, which is one of my all-time favorite golf courses. It was a Tom Watson design that, you know, it's kind of that wispy grass, uh, you know, um, Lynx-style kind of, it was a great golf course, uh, but we were supposed to play the ocean course the final day, mm. and at that point in time, uh, there was a significant hurricane that came up the coast, and, and uh, two of the guys that uh, were on the trip were newlyweds and their wives gave them a hard time about, you know, coming home and the weather and blah, blah, blah. And I said, look, guys, <laughs> I said, look, I, you know, I'm already in the doghouse here on this trip. I said, look, I, I'll just, you know, I'll pay for your caddy fees. I'll, I'll do whatever. I'll pay for the hotel for the extra night. Let's just, we, this mm-hmm. is why we came down here and we never wound up playing the golf course. And, and
0: oh, no. you know,
5: I'm very just disappointed to say that, uh, no, I, um, I had a great time on that trip. Um, you know, if anybody ever gets to go to Kiawah, well, there's a gazillion courses that you can play. Uh, we played the River Course uh, one of the days, um, Friars Creek, Casique. We played, you know, a couple of really good golf courses, and um we had a good time. But, no, I have not ever played it. I know that it's incredibly difficult. I think that if you uh, ask uh Mark Kalkovec, you yeah, probably tell you the same thing.
1: Tommy?
0: That's yeah, just going to be interesting, the PGA, because, you know, Doug, at this time, usually uh, you used to have like the U.S. Open a couple days away. I mean, you said the Nicholas Tournament Memorial Day, then you had the U.S. Open in, in June. I mean, having the PGA, it doesn't fit in with them. Used to have that tournament in March to be the last tournament for a wrap-up for the for the for the great PGA yeah. season. What do you think about that?
5: I think it's wonderful that um, the 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 schedule's been revamped, if you will, to uh, promote the PGA. I think it used to be the black sheep of Uh, the majors and um, I think that now it has its rightful place Um, you know being in May and I believe that um, you know look guys guys like me are um, you know 20 year veterans if you will or nearly 20 years 17 years actually of of the PGA of America that you know we we look forward to you know crowning our champion Um, Mm -hmm. you know and I think that it lost its luster um, you know at the end of the you know the the tournament schedule there that um you know no one no one felt although it was a major you know certainly anybody that won the event and won that major would would wouldn't snicker at the fact that they won it but at the end of the day you know look we we know that um you know Augusta is the crown jewel uh the Masters is is you know the one and then probably second is i would guess the US Open um you know certainly it has its its rightful place uh, on fathers day weekend and then right. you know look i guess it's a toss up between the final two but the british open probably nips you know the pga championship and um look there's there's a lot of guys uh that are club professionals uh, like myself that that earn their their chance through different things uh throughout the year to play in that pga you know championship that um you know it's it's a it's a tough thing, you know. I mean, you have uh, guys like me that don't get a chance to play a whole lot, you know, that, that are running country clubs that, um, you know, look at these guys and say, you know what, you know, more power to you, man. I, I appreciate the fact that you have the kind of job that you can, um, you know, go out and play on a daily basis or, um, you know, semi-daily basis that you can get your game to the point where you can, you know, compete at that level. I mean, um, sadly, um, most, most PGA professionals like myself, I mean, look, we, we, we actually work for a living, you know, we're, we're not going to compete with, uh, a tour professional. It's just, it's just not going to happen. It's not in the cards. It's, it's not the way that it was designed. You know, those, those guys have a different classification. That's their job. You know, I, I, um, you know, I, I spend too much time. You know, pulling with inventory and and finding you know Mrs. Havercam's head cover and and doing these different <laughs> things that I'm you know I'm, I'm not going to be able to do that. You know, I mean, you know, if if somebody told me that every time I played golf I could go out there and shoot seventy five, and I, I would say, okay, that's that's fine, let's It'd do that. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm completely <laughs> fine with that. But you know, these, these guys are shooting sixty six. You know that on. You know, golf courses like Kiowa, that's that's not something that's, you know, if, if somebody came to me and said, all right, you know what, Doug, I'm going to give you $100,000, and all you're going to do for the next year is, you know, change your diet, you know, weight train, you know, play golf, practice, do your thing, like those guys get to do every day, okay, well, you know, now maybe we're talking about something, but that's not the way this works, so. Um, you know, I thought a it was nice, board. Doug,
1: that they uh, they reached out to Stricker and also to Mickelson. Uh, obviously, uh, you know they won Mickelson there. He's a great personality and has been for the last mm-hmm. twenty five years. Uh, so I thought it was great that the two of them will participate. Also, yeah. uh, having Rory won last week, which is uh, mm-hmm. gives him the Olympus to go into to yeah. the PGA. So uh, sure. a lot of a lot of
5: big stories. Uh,
1: yeah. I, I don't know. It, I
6: don't.
5: I don't know how Roy McIlroy and, and Jordan Spieth can be, um, you know, considered amongst the favorites. Obviously, you know, Roy may be more so than Jordan, but, um, you know, there's, you know, we, we, we've talked about this, Don, you and I on a number of different occasions that anybody can win on any week. Um, you know, that's kind of the way the the PGA Tour is set up because there's so much daggling talent, um, you know, that all someone has to do is get hot uh, for a couple rounds and they placed themselves in contention. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, I've seen, you know, I know that, uh, you look at the odds board. I mean, I think you look at, uh, you know, guys like Dustin Johnson and, and, and uh, Justin Thomas and, and your regulars that John Rahm that, that are, you know, to be considered amongst, um, you know, the top golfers in, in, in the game, Absolutely. So, you know, but, but, um, you know the the six horse at the Preakness shouldn't have won the Preakness. So there's you know what I mean. There's there's other people out there that can do it. You know what I mean. So. Deschambaults,
1: uh, you, you know, I, I couldn't believe it. Seven thousand yards, well, a little under seven thousand <laughs> yards. I mean, you're you're well, talking a long golf course, and of course, that's exactly what Deschambault said. Uh, it's right up my alley because I,
3: you know, I hit right. the ball
1: further than anybody else. We'll see what happens. Are going to keep it straight. <laughs>
5: I thought it was actually more than that, Don. I thought it was in the. For some reason, I don't know where I saw it, but I thought it was in the seventy-eight hundred yard range, like something ridiculous. Wait,
1: wait a is second! I got wrong? that. I, got, I don't know. I got the. I got the length right here. I. I let me mm-hmm. let me go back, back. and take a quick look. Now, but I know that the the, uh, the weather forecast for the weekend has been very good. Uh, mm-hmm. I, length is seven thousand eight hundred and twenty-eight yards. There you go. But I 7,838.
5: 7,838. 7, right. So that 7,800 yards is also comprised of probably a lot of holes. You know, there's a couple par threes and a par fives, you know, whatever, they're going to make up a lot of. They're going to play some of those other – I think they're going to give some of the players a chance on some of the par fours or maybe one or two. Uh, that they're going to play from a, a reasonable distance to, to, to allow those individuals to try to drive the holes or get them close. So I think that that yardage is a little skewed. But but, but when you look at seventy eight hundred yards, I mean <laughs> that's a that's a long that's a long golf course. I mean I can tell you, you know, from from the new facility where I work at Woodham Country Club. I mean the men's Men's tees, if you will, are about sixty-five hundred yards, and that its a lot of golf course from sixty-five hundred yards. So you add thirteen hundred yards, you know, to that in either par threes or par fives, and now you're talking about—I mean, that's—you know—I don't even know. You, you mentioned the weather, but I mean, you're talking Kiowa, so it's, it's going to be eighty. It's going to
1: be eighty every day with uh, somewhere between eleven and thirteen mile an hour winds, and uh, maybe enough. a possible chance on on Sunday of yeah, uh, this says cloudy. That doesn't say it's going to shower, right. but it's going to be around eighty, eighty-one each day, which is really, yeah, I mean that's great. That's uh, you can't yes, ask for yeah. it better than that.
5: No, that's pleasant. But even at that ten, fifteen mile an hour winds, I mean you're going to have some of those holes, you know, where you're playing into that wind at that at that number. That right, you're still going to make it even. I mean, yeah. listen, I will tell you what, there, there, there was a period of time where I owned a PlayStation Four and I had Tiger Woods Golf, and there was Kiowa. The Ocean Course was one of the courses, and I was like the best golfer on the planet in in Tiger Woods golf, and I think I shot like sixty five on on a video game. So I mean, I, I can't even imagine what these guys are going to do in person. So, yeah, well, I, I mean, I'll some I'll of
1: those, tell you that some the, of those, the,
5: the, the landing. You got seventy. You got seventy
1: eight and sunny on Thursday. You got seventy nine and uh, sunny with uh, winds at fifteen miles an hour on Friday. You got eighty mm-hmm. degrees on Saturday with nine mile an hour winds, and on Sunday, uh, partly cloudy and uh, thirteen mile an hour winds. Uh, so we'll mm-hmm. see what happens. But I'll pay you, yeah. I'm looking I, forward I, to. It.
2: You know, you were talking about the tee offs, uh, Don. On times, they've got thirty three golfers teeing off in the first hour.
6: Mm-hmm. They
2: they have uh, three. It begins at seven a.m. And then right. it's, uh 5, then 11, 16, 22, 27, mm-hmm. 38, 44, 49, 55.
6: Mm-hmm.
2: Every five six minutes. That's amazing.
6: Mm-hmm.
2: And it, well, uh, that's... As I say, it's
1: a, it's a lot of fun. And Phil Mickelson goes off at uh, 114 the first day and 749 the second day. Mm-hmm. And he's playing with uh, – Jason Day and uh, Harrington. So uh, I'll tell you, it, it, it's a lot. Of, it's going to be a lot of fun, and, and I, I'm glad they're having nice weather. Um, ESPN is going to really cover cover uh, almost everything from start to finish. Not like the Masters, where they mm-hmm. don't cut in until three o'clock. This is going to be sure. covered from almost eleven o'clock in the morning right on through. Well, mm-hmm. they've
2: got to have 240 golfers in the tournament to
1: start. I didn't see the number, so I can't say, Roger. Well, I really don't know. If there's, mm-hmm.
2: if there's 33 in the first hour and it goes up to 242, so that would be uh, 9, 8, 10, 9, 10, 11, 12, 1, 2. So that's six times 33. That's over, That's a little over 200. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well right around 200 golfers. That's amazing.
9: will be
2: a lot You know, you guys know about it. To me and Tommy, you, this just mm-hmm. seems—is uh, this unusual to have that many in a tournament? Yes, yes, it, yes, it is. It's, That's, it's crazy. I mean,
0: mm-hmm. How do they get these guys finished? How do they get these guys finished before 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 the sun sets after tea? I'll probably. Six o'clock in the morning for Pete's sake to get they are going
1: the to it i thought i thought the number was around hundred and eighty but I, I don't know that to be a fact but i
6: was usually
1: one by the seven. i
6: it
2: could be you know it could be i mean i'm i'm gone i i i figured i i went by three six nine twelve fifteen eighteen uh twenty one twenty four uh twenty seven uh, Thirty, yeah, that's what I was right. Thirty-three in the first hour. So, and and every one of them, it's either five or six minutes for groups mm. of three. So that's well, i when you when you're in
1: a, when you're in a play-in situation, same what Roger saying here. When you're going to a normal tournament and you're playing in a, a, a play-in situation, what number is that? Is that number one seventy-nine? Is it one eighty? What, what's the what's the normal
5: number? well it 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 depends um you know there's um any number of tournaments that have a limited you know field size i mean some uh, facilities will allow you to go front and back um to you know execute play on a on a you know quicker basis um you know sometimes sometimes they'll do that because of weather um but i mean you know, five or six minute tea time intervals is pretty snug. Um, you know, in most cases, you know it's it's going to be at least ten, if not twelve minutes. Sometimes even fifteen minute intervals. So, right. Um, right. You know, I think the 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 COVID kind of you know put the clamps on. You know, a lot of that. I mean, I, I'll go. Um, I mean, I've I've done uh, tournaments where you know, particularly like club championship match play stuff, where I send them out in twosomes. I'll go every. You know, eight minutes, um, you know, there's a lot of sometimes women, women's tournaments can go every eight minutes because they just they run like rabbits. They're they're so quick. Um, but I mean, in most cases, men, men just don't have the ability to go in six minute intervals. I mean, those, those guys are very methodical. Um, you know, I mean, you're also talking about people that are walking as opposed to riding. So, I mean, I would be shocked. If you're telling me they're going in six minute intervals, um they have to be going front back. There's no way they can go five
2: or six minute Five or six yeah. intervals.
5: That that that's crazy. I mean, um, you know, what one well, guy you were,
2: you were right on
1: the you were right on the number as far as the uh Ram is is right the second choice now and the numbers at fourteen to one. McIlroy, yeah. because I guess his hot week last week is eleven to one, so he's the yep. leader. Yep. And then you go
5: to the yep. speech,
1: he's fourteen to one. And uh, mm-hmm. Justin Thomas is also fourteen to one. So uh the yeah. guys are at the top of the pack. Well Justin I thought Thomas had, is I, thought always... I thought had a list of all the entrants here. I was just gonna
5: to try to see if I come up with a you number can... for you because I was gonna say yeah. you can Google that, but I mean you you I mean Justin Thomas is always a good bet, but I mean there's there has to be a dark horse in there that's more than twenty five to one that has an absolute chance to win that that we just don't
3: oh, we're not absolutely. looking at.
5: It, you know. Um, I know Don, you're a you're a better. So I mean, you know, if we're talking, you know, exactas and right, trifectas,
2: that's, that's funny.
5: You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you look, guys, I, like I you told guys you, are too Don, much.
2: <laughs>
6: Don, we talked
5: about the uh, the Preakness last week. I mean that that six horse, you know, he he probably shouldn't have. Most, I mean, I would tell you of the ten horses that ran the Preakness. I would say six of them, maybe seven of them, shouldn't have even been in the race. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Bob Baffert's Bob Baffert's two horses were were elite in terms of, you know, were, you know, being a Grade One stakes race, you know, kind of horse, right. the, the ten the right. ten horse concert tour and the three horse Madonna Spirit, but, um, you know, most of those horses probably the Preakness is always a weaker field than the Kentucky or even the Belmont, but they they didn't belong in that race, and that that six horse you know, just ran the perfect race. You know, Flavian Pratt had the had the perfect trip to hold him kind of in contention and then come down the stretch and, and take that lead, but um, I'll tell you, you're gosh. right, from the
1: quarter pole in, from the quarter pole in yep. and down the stretch, uh, I give that jockey a lot of credit because uh, well, I'd say the last 50, uh, 50 to 60 yards from the finish line, you know, yeah. he was still almost head and head and wound up right. winning the race uh, you know, pretty handily. Well, so
5: Midnight Bourbon, you know, ran a pretty good race. I think I read, right. or he's, he's, he's one, he's my he's my favorite jockey. Um, but Slavian Pratt is one of the, you know, he's one of the hottest, you know, jockeys on the planet right now um, in terms of what he does and where he runs. Um, but um, a 10 horse concert tour, Bob Baffert, that, that, that was one of the elite horses of that race. He never, he just never ran. He just never, from that 10 spot, he just couldn't get himself, you know, out into a position. Uh, you know to make a difference there. Um, that, that was well to one
1: in one in ten of the toughest. Or uh, yeah, yeah. Of course, with a Kentucky Derby, you're out of twenty. But in a race like this yeah. with ten horses, if you're ten or one, yeah, uh, you gotta you gotta make an exception you, for those two because you they gotta, gotta really get, yeah, be better gotta, to, to win the race. You
5: gotta break you gotta break well mm-hmm. and get and get to that post. Uh, but the ten horse just couldn't get there. And um, you know, congratulations to Rombauer, Bauer, the six horse. I mean. You know, and and the Belmont will be a completely different race um, altogether because of the pace of it. But oh, that's uh, all about the, the pace. But, uh, that's all about the pace. Yeah. So, but it was fun to watch. I enjoyed it.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I, I'm with you. I enjoyed it. I will tell you, I thought they did a nice job of covering throughout the day. To be honest with you, I thought yeah. were a number of I good do. races I, during I, the
5: course of the day, and I thought they did a good job. Well, the the majors in horse racing are just. I don't know what it is, but, like, I just get so excited to watch those horses run. They're such beautiful animals, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you know, the, the, the strategy that's involved in those jockeys, um, you know, getting them to the right positions and, and asking them, you know, when they do, whether it's, you know, with the whip or whatever, but, um, you know, it's it's just... I don't know why it's just like the hair on the back of my neck stands up when I watch those races because it just you know what I mean it just i don't know- I don't know what it is about it it's
6: just i can't really I can't say that Roger
5: say so I
1: can't say the hair on the back of my neck stands up
6: <laughs> I
5: mean, you know, it's the fastest two minutes in sports as they say that's
6: right, Tommy, hmm.
1: hello, Tommy. <laughs> so yes, Frank. Say, there...
0: tick, tick, tock. Up against the clock again, guys. Another.
1: Oh my God, we're, all, we're finished already.
6: I know. Yeah. It's
0: been five hours. Best two hours in the best two hours this, <laughs> in this week. So, gentlemen, thank you again, Doug. Thank great you night. again.
6: Great Great guest.
2: Frank, yes, Roger, Bob, thank well. you again. Have a great week, Don. Tommy, appreciate everything and uh, um, appreciate the listeners. God bless. Have a great week.
1: Yep. We'll do it again next week, boys. Thank you very much, Frank. That's a good job. Take care. Tommy, keep it going. Yes,
0: sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. And I'd like to thank all of our guests, Roy Cummings. Uh uh all of our guests came on this week. Don Henderson come on came on this week and very Roger Henry and Mike and Mike Mike Ledbetter came on and Mike Sinzak and Doug Hamilton. Very it Frank. All these guys love to come on every week. We podcast not having the lightning founding father on. I'll see him tomorrow. See what happened, what happened, Phil. But Frank, great job as always. For my family, your family. God bless and go, both.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, uh, today is Armed Forces Day. We we it's, we're supposed to start the show with uh, yes. uh, a salute to any veteran out there. Uh, we appreciate everything you've done for our country and for us, for the uh, gold star mothers and wives. Um, Mm -hmm. The sacrifice you've given will never, ever be forgiven by, be be forgotten by any of us. Uh, Our staff uh, wants to say thank you very much to all the uh, old star, red star, blue star, and active uh, veterans at this point in time. These programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, and the men and women of police and fire services. When you're out there and see somebody in uniform, please make sure that you let them know you know they're there. These are very, very tough times for everybody in uniform. These programs are also dedicated to those who've lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffy Colcap. Sergeant Thomas Batinger, Patrolman Jeffy Yazowitz, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Rick Childress. San Diego Officer Meg Hindler Lieutenant Deserba, Mike Conserva, Newcastle County Police. Patrolman and Officer Lakeland P.D. Chief Al Hogel, Longville Key Police Department. Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. Highway Patrol Alonzo Moses, Philadelphia Highway Patrol. Highway Patrol Brian Lazaro, Philadelphia Highway Patrol. Highway Patrol Brian Murphy, Plymouth Township, PA Highway Patrol. Lieutenant Bob Neary, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant Mike Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department. Deputy Jonathan Scott Pine, Orange County Sheriff's Department. Patrolman Robert Germain, Windermere, Florida Police Department. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Patrolman Charlie Connett, Tarpon Springs Police Department. Hillsborough County Deputy Sheriff Charlie Katloff. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Philadelphia Police Department. Sergeant Rodney Bond, Delaware State Police. Corporal um, Lieutenant, uh, I'm sorry, Captain Matt Latourna, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Artith Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. F.D. Lee, Special Inspector Vinnie Galaccio; Delaware State Trooper, Corporal Stephen Ballard. Kasami Patrol Officer, Matt Baxter. Kasami Sergeant Sam Howard. Deputy Bill Gentry, Highland County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Clay Zerba, Clay County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Natalie Corona, L.A. County Sheriff's Department. Deputy April Rodriguez, Pasco County Sheriff's Department. Officer Bob McKechan, Bloxom, Kentucky Police Department; Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol; Sergeant Brian Lavik, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department; uh, Deputy Mike malik Pinellas County Sheriff's Department; and Lieutenant uh, Deborah Charles, Orlando Police Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be ten seven at this point in time, at sometime we'll be ten ten at the table, of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the sunshine lightly in your face, and and may the Lord be with you. May the Lord keep you and your families always in the hallow of His hands. Good night. God bless. And have a great week. <laughs>
9: So as she never again my head. So oh.